0: That's what what's the idea? Well, What's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea ah, What's the big idea?
1: What's the idea? Welcome back to what's the big idea? Today on the show we have Adam Smiley Pozwalski. So Adam is a longtime friend. He's also the author of several books, but most recently and notably, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. And in today's episode, we dig into not only some of kind of the cultural trends and patterns that we see emerging around the loneliness epidemic, what is happening, where in the world is it most intense, uh, but we also bridge into some of the tactical. We share so many of our own stories about building, developing new friendships techniques to hone community, to create shared experiences that foster meaningful relationships. So if you want to understand why people talk about loneliness as a health crisis, a true epidemic, this episode is going to do that. But also we just kind of go back and forth talking about the things that Smiley has uh, documented beautifully in his book, but also just what we've done in our own lives to cultivate Uh, deeper relationships and to make new friends. So it's an incredible episode. We also connected through a mutual friend who passed away, uh, Levi Felix, who was the founder of Camp Grounded. So we start off the episode talking about him because he was truly one of the best experienced designers that either of us had ever experienced. And we had some incredible stories about how we met and really became friends. So without further ado, here is Adam Smiley Pozwalski. Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. I'm here with my longtime friend and brother in facilitating human connection on the planet, Adam Smiley Pozwalski. Smiley, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. It's great to be here. Absolutely, man. I think we've been talking about this for for a while now, so I'm excited to finally make it happen. And I think that it would only be appropriate for us to start this episode by talking about how we know each other and where we met. So in your own words, how would you describe that experience?
0: Well, I think we got to go back to Camp Grounded, right? Summer 2013. So for those of you that don't know, Camp Grounded is a uh, tech-free summer camp for adults. It's a digital detox. Uh, It was started by one of my best friends, Levi Felix, who's also a close friend of yours, Andrew. And Levi had this vision to create a temporary alternate world where people would kind of wake up to their tech addiction and have the space in four days in nature to reconnect with themselves and then hopefully live a more balanced life when they reemerge from the woods. So Levi had spent. Uh, a bunch of time uh, on an island in Cambodia, where there was no cell reception or internet or Wi-Fi or digital devices, just gave him the space to kind of realize, "Well, what am I doing with my life? What's happening?" And then when he came back to the United States, and this is kind of you know early 2010s, uh, realizing that you know getting on a subway or being at a cafe and seeing everyone with their head in, in their phone, that something was up. Um, and thought of this idea of Camp Grounded and had started, you know, kind of creating these digital detox retreats where people would get a snippet of that experience. Obviously, you couldn't transport them to an island uh, in Cambodia, but you could give them the container where they would have a powerful transformational experience. And the key aspects of that for camp were setting up some rules. One of the big ways, you know, that you can uh, create uh, community is around shared intentions, right? Giving people that permission slip where everyone's kind of buying into the same ground rules, even if you do that at a dinner party, right? But for camp, it was uh, most importantly no technology. So when you show up, you get all your devices locked up in a closet. Your our Apple watches, your phone. People would show up with MacBooks, all of these things.
1: Important, important detail there is that they would give you a biohazard bag, so you yes. would. You would check in your phone, and I remember that was my first thing that I remembered. There is they'd give you these plastic bags that have the biohazard logo on yeah. them, just to kind of like really hammer home, like what you have in your pocket all day long.
0: And I was a, I was, I was always a, a tech check. So I'd be in a, you know, full on hazmat suit with goggles, <laughs> you know, with with a tennis racket, like pretending to fake scan people like a TSA agent, being like, woo, 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 wait a second, uh oh, are you trying to sneak it? Are, are you sneaking in? Is that it? A- you have an iPhone in your pocket. <laughs> I remember there was this, there was this one, there was this one girl who like couldn't, she wouldn't give away her her phone. She was, you know, she's like, I haven't posted yet. I need to post something on Instagram. I just, I can't do it. I, I, I thought she was joking, but she actually couldn't give it up. She was like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to, to to DM my friend back, blah blah blah. And then I remember talking to her at the end of the weekend, and she was like, I don't want that shit back. she's like (laughs) what phone and it was like you know so so there's no technology that was one of the the main the main um uh expectations um or rules um no real names so you had to have a nickname so if you had a nickname from camp or childhood you could use that or if you didn't have a nickname we would have people like um, our great friend Bricky St. James, Adam Ward, uh, give you nickname, uh, nickname. So we had professional, quote unquote, professional nicknamers. It's it's actually a job. You can get it. You can get a master's degree in it. Um, so you, you know, which is a huge deal because there were a lot of people coming to camp. So no real names and no talking about work. So no, what do you do? No W talk, as Levi like to call it, and that is an incredible thing, especially for a camp that was drawing a lot of people from. San Francisco, Silicon Valley, California, people that were, let's say, pretty connected to technology, maybe successful, maybe working at some of these companies that are designing um, the technology that all of us use every day and allowing people to kind of escape that identity that is their LinkedIn bio, their Twitter bio, that one line, oh, you work at Google, right? Oh, you work at a nonprofit. Oh, you're famous. I think I've seen you, you know, uh, in the New York Times before and allowing people just to be cookie surprise, bricky St. James, Sir Ocelot, chocolate Moose, whoever you wanted to be. And it's so simple, but it was really transformative and powerful for, for people to, and, and for me to not be their, their kind of social media identity or their professional identity um, that maybe they didn't feel like truly encapsulated who they were, or maybe wasn't who they were at all. Mm-hmm. And um, so, no talking about work. Also, no age, which you know we live in a, often a, a society that really is biased against both young people and people that are older. So there were people that came to camp that were in their sixties, in their seventies, in their eighties. People would come with their their children. People would come with their grandchildren. And they got to be kids too. And they got to channel that inner child and they got to reinvent themselves and discover, oh, wait, maybe I really love stilt walking or pickle making or laughter yoga or meditation or creative writing on typewriters, something that they maybe had never done in their lives or always wanted to do. Um, Again, a really powerful container and also no drugs or alcohol, which, you know, for the kind of experience world and festival world is rare right that's why i think something like daybreaker is so amazing because we have very few places now where people congregate for a weekend long experience that is sober where the invitation is to say okay what am i saying yes to and what am i going to remember from this experience like drugs can be great you know when when used intentionally but also so can a sober experience where you get to remember the conversations that you have with people and be like, yeah, I did that. I'm choosing to do that. I want to remember this. I'm, I'm, I'm actively consenting to all of these incredible experiences that I have at camp. And so I got to be a counselor at Camp Grounded for uh, five years. I only missed, I think, one session in five years. We did 15 overall uh, between 2013 and 2017. Uh, I think about 3,000 people ended up attending camp if, if you had all of those sessions and digital detox retreats up. So, so that's where you and I met, uh, 2013. I think we met in the dining hall. I remember your smiling face, uh, you and you and Mickey were together. I think you had the digital detox tank top on, um, which is kind of this hourglass icon. Um, and we had a conversation there and, you know, it's, it's a truly, uh, a truly special place. It, 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 really brought community into my life. It brought, um, weirdness and spontaneity and play. Into my life, and it was, you know, kind of the the was the origin story for this for this new book, this new project, where I kind of wanted to remember Levi and wanted to remember some of the lessons that you know he taught us, he taught me, and and that we learned at camp, and understanding that you know something like camp grounded. Yeah, it's a four day experience. Um, It hasn't happened now in in two years. It was supposed to happen last year, um, but uh, of course, the pandemic and Levi is no longer with us um, but you can still bring those lessons into our daily lives right we can remember the power of play we can have those containers in different settings even in the workplace right you can you can have a you can create a little camp moment a camp grounded moment at the start of a meeting right at the yeah. start of a Zoom meeting in the way that you talk to your employees and we need that more we need that so much now more than ever
1: you know, and it's like, you're, you're talking about how we met, but actually the way that I'm receiving this is actually just like a masterclass in facilitation if you were to go back and listen to the last eight minutes of this and just the different things that, that Levi and the whole campground crew, digital detox group would do at these events, there's so many little surprise, like moments of delight in that experience of people coming into the event giving people a pseudonym so that they can actually just like come out of themselves for a moment like i remember one of my favorite moments at camp grounded they gave us this time. I think it was 30 minutes before we gathered for dinner. And we did this long dinner table with like 150 people. It was all at one time. Silent table. dinner. Yeah. Silent dinner. And so what would happen is at the time, again, this was, you know, 2013. And so I was still in my journey dealing with kind of like my my self-defeating internal dialogue and social anxiety. It was they, they let people basically come together with their little groups. And then they said that we're going to have 30 minutes before we come together for dinner. And this is going to be silent time as a group. And so you had probably several hundred people who were all just walking around this this summer camp in Northern California, basically completely silent. And so you'd see people, but it was really an opportunity to just be in your own space and with your own thoughts. And and it was in that time that I became so aware of my own dialogue that was going Mm -hmm. on when I was around people. And it was like, again, it's so oftentimes it's like we are subconsciously processing that internal dialogue that's keeping us from connecting, that's keeping us from expressing ourselves the way that we'd like to with people. And I remember sitting, so we, we walk around for 20 minutes and then they, whether it was a, a drum or a trumpet or what was it that called us back to the table?
0: Yeah, it was probably it was probably Shmoo playing the trumpet. That's Levi. <laughs> Shmoo. Yeah. So there's a trumpet,
1: and then all these people come back to the table, and even while you're sitting there with hundreds of people, and you start to eat dinner silently, right? Yes. And you're just and you're so you're it's such an internal experience while with people. And I remember noticing that and it was really transformational for me to just become so present to that internal dialogue and to be aware that it was there. And uh, so if you just listen to that, they were really ahead of their time before there was Tristan Harris and the Center for Humane Tech and all these things. Levi was really ahead of his time in terms of really understanding how technology disrupts our ability to be with and connect with people in, in the physical world. And so you know it's i appreciate you sharing that so beautifully and and one of the moments when i really i would say fell in love with you not just as a human but as a teacher of human connection of community building was in your eulogy to levi after he passed mm. away and seeing how deeply you saw this man and how deeply you stood for like his mission and how deeply you wanted to honor him and his legacy by carrying it forward. And I get goosebumps when I'm talking about it, man, because it was profound. (laughs) And it's just, and that's, and that's really what we're here to talk about today is friendship. And, and, and I, I see you living that and you, someone who studied that and so what I'm curious about is, you know, you obviously have this book coming out, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, which we've talked about previously on this podcast and the loneliness epidemic. But I'm curious, it's like, what, what was the moment that friendship specifically became your point of focus when that became the thing that you keyed in on and you said, this is where I need to invest my energy right now?
0: Yeah. and 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 thanks for sharing that. And you know it's all connected. So for me, that moment was Levi's death. So so Levi's my close friend, one of my best friends in the whole world. Camp is you know my identity, my community, the people I spend the most time with in Oakland and San Francisco, the Bay Area. And it's 2016, and all of a sudden, this healthy guy who's running around leading summer camps for adults, going to Burning Man, having fun, living living the life of a, a healthy. You know, 31-year-old gets diagnosed with a brain tumor and then a year later passes away. Um, so that was the initial moment when I got interested in friendship because my best friend passed away. And not only my best friend, but someone who had literally brought friendship into my life and redefined what friendship meant to me. And, and just going back to what you were saying before, um, you know, in that in that piece, in that eulogy um, on Medium, what I was writing, I, I wrote, you know, if, if life were a company, Levi would have been its chief experience officer. He, <laughs> he was meticulous. And this was kind of before like experience design was a thing. And this is before, you know, quote unquote, you know. Um, I mean, people have been designing experiences forever, right? Um, this is something that humans have done since we were hanging around, around the fire. That was, you know, that's the old school uh, facilitation. The old school (laughs) personal growth retreat was like, yo, let me tell you a story about your (laughs) ancestors. Um, but Levi was meticulous when it came to, um, experience design to, to the point of kind of borderline bordering on obsession, right? He would go around when we were setting up camp, you know, we'd arrive a couple days early to camp, every single, every single piece of art, every sign on a tree, every light, the glitter that people would get when it would, uh, they would get their camp assignment, their village assignments in the mail that would spill everywhere. So before camp even happened, he was fucking with everyone, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> The silent dinner, as you said, you know, where people would go from you know, running around, painting their faces, screaming at the top of the lo- their lungs to, okay, you're about to go into a period of silence and then you're going to burn your deepest fear right on a piece of paper and burn your deepest fear in front of a community and then sit in silence as someone plays the sitar and the moon rises and you get to be eating dinner silently under the stars with 300 other people while someone serves you dinner. I mean, we're talking next level experience design to the point that every touch point, every aspect of it was thoughtful, and and maybe that's the metaphor for friendship. There is the people in your life that you spend, that you care about, the touch points with that you want to, uh, that you think about how you're you are. Interacting with them, supporting them, loving them, expressing gratitude for them, calling them out, that you have all that, that, that friendship becomes an experience. That friendship becomes something more than just another person in your life. It's something that transforms you, that changes you, that um, allows you to become better over and over and over again um and 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 makes you rethink who you are in the world constantly so friendship as an experience i would say is kind of the the lesson i got there but the origin of the book was or 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 the origin not of the book of me giving a shit about this topic was was the death of one of my best friends and you know i i had experienced death before um in terms of you know losing my my grandparents and i was very close with my grandmother um but I never kind of experienced the death of, of a close friend, and and anyone listening that has is it's a pretty, uh, or, you know, a close friend or a family member. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a it's a powerful experience, and um, I just remember, you know, those days uh, of you know of Levi being sick, and he was um, at UCSF Hospital, um, which was re- very close to where I was living in the Inner Sunset in San Francisco, and I got to go on these walks with him when he was. know, on chemo and then in between treatments and I'll never forget those walks. And sometimes, you know, he was, he was out of it or, or not really that sharp or kind of mumbling. And those moments that we shared kind of in, in the last, you know, uh, weeks and days of his life will, will stick with me. And I, I, I wanted to start writing about that relationship, um, and those lessons so that they were kind of, you know, in the same way that you have that gratitude interview with, with Levi, which is so beautiful, um, for f- f- folks should all watch it. I think it's on the tribute um, YouTube, but it like, that's the stuff, that's the stuff that really matters in life, right? When you have those moments, you're like, I'm never going to forget that conversation. I'm never going to forget that friend, that, that that moment and what they taught me. Um, so I started writing about friendship in that context and then kind of, you know, not as a book as just like, I want to write about my boy, right? Like I want to write about someone I love and what he taught me. And then you know, just kind of you you leave it in a in a medium post, you leave it in a Word doc, and then it sits there. And then I kind of came back to it uh, in, in a, a year or so later and started writing about my own loneliness. So I was kind of in this experience of you know, like you, I'm a I'm a social dude. I, I I'm a public speaker for a living, so I I travel for work, which is which is a gift and and really a beautiful thing. And I I meet people for a living. That's what I do. I go to companies or conferences and I speak about. Uh, millennials in the workplace and how to make people happier and more connected at work. And that's cool. It's awesome. I meet people all the time and I'm like, wait a second, why am I feeling so lonely? Why am I kind of questioning like, who are my real friends? Like who are like my real people? Like the five people in, in my corner, why haven't I talked to like my college best friends in in, in a long time? You know, who are my real friends? And if I'm experiencing that, right, as a very social, outgoing, extroverted person who literally goes and meets people for life, like that's like what my calendar is, then maybe other people are also experiencing this kind of this disconnect. And I started talking to people being like, yo, I'm feeling pretty lonely. Like I'm going through these bouts of uh, of feeling not sure who my friends are and feeling very alone. And then they're like, yeah, they're like, yeah, me too. And you start realizing that the research is, okay, loneliness is, is subjective. It's the disconnect between one's uh, actual and desired level of connection, right? So you can have lots of friends. You can be very socially active and still feel lonely. It's the disconnect. It's, you know, I feel like this. I think I should be feeling like that, or I would love to be feeling like that. Or, 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 what's probably happening in the case of for many young people, because if you look at the data, you know two thirds of Americans are lonely, eighty um, percent of Gen Z, seventy percent of Millennials, and all of this data is uh, pre pre pandemic, pre a year of social isolation. Um, you okay? It's the, the 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 gap. It's the gap, and it's like, well, if everyone is spending, you know, eight to ten hours a day on a screen hours on social media, looking at everyone else's cool life, being like, I want to be there. (laughs) They look so connected. They look like they're not lonely. They look like they're doing something cool. Why am I sitting here on Friday night and they didn't invite me to that? Or, you know, what's happening? You get to be like, oh, it's the gap. It's that, you know, that subjective kind of not knowing. Um, And I just also want to make a point that you can be – you can um, be – so, uh, socially isolated and not feel lonely. So, those are two different things, right? Loneliness and social isolation. Like, you can be someone that really likes being alone, spending a lot of t- time alone, lives in nature, lives in the woods, doesn't see a lot of people, but still feel very connected, right? It's that, it's, it's, they're, they're different things. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and realizing that some of the cure there, I mean, loneliness is a very complicated, complicated issue that, you know, the cures are on many facets. But I think one of the most simple ones, is spending more time with your friends. First of all, knowing who your friends are and being able to define that word and kind of distinguish true friendships. I mean, you can have you know new friends and people that are kind of um, people you just met that you want to become friends with or that you feel friendly with, but then knowing who those your, those real people are that are in your inner circle and spending more time with them. We spend 4% of our time with our friends, 4%. So meanwhile, we're spending, you know, 50 minutes a day on Facebook, 50 minutes a day on Instagram. I don't know what the data is on TikTok, but I imagine it's, it's really bad, especially for teenagers. Uh, we're seeing skyrocketing rates of, of teenage anxiety, depression, suicide, the suicide rate for young people, uh, 10 to 15 has tripled between 2007 and 2017. Um, so why aren't we advocating for more people to spend more time with their friends? It's one of the most kind of old school, simple things. And we know that the science shows that the people that spend more time with their friends, the people that invest in social relationships are happier and live longer and live more full lives. It's the single biggest determinant to living a healthy life is your, the quality of your social relationships. Um, And if this book kind of accomplishes anything, it's just that people think a little bit more about their friends, about how they can show up for their friends uh, and put friendship more at the center of uh, of their lives. If it does that, if it does that for five people, I will be very happy. I love
1: that. And I I think that you just spoke to something that we're 20 minutes into this interview. And I think that you just invited in an opportunity where if you're, if you're listening to this smiley, just talked about doing one simple thing, identifying who those people are that you most want to spend time with or in your own words, how'd you say that smiley?
0: Yeah, who? Well, no, who? Who? Who are the people that you know are in your corner? Like my friend Casper Trakil, who's a community builder. He wrote a book called The Power of Ritual, which is a great book. He kind of defines it as, who? Who's bringing the birthday cake to my party? Mm-hmm. Like who? And who's you know who? Who are you calling when you're sick? Who? Who? Who's going to be there when something like a pandemic goes down, or when you lose your job, or you know something's going on in your partnership, or you just need. Those special people in your life—who are those people that you can count on and call? I don't think we and often would, like know who they are, you know. And that's a—that's exactly
1: one of the one of the rituals that we do uh, on our Junto retreats is it's lunch on our our second days. Normally, when we do it, and we talk about male friendship, and one of the the exercises is we define friendship in our own way, which we can get to later. And then basically what we do is we say, okay, so with that being our collective definition of friendship, like who are the men that you consider to be your closest friends? And these Mm. are the men that are your closest friends. And then we also invite them in. Who are the men that you'd like to build deeper friendships with? And so we actually have all these men to actually write down that list And then what we have them do is after they, they all have that list. And so I would actually start here. Like this is, if you've never done this before, that exercise of writing down all of those names of who are the people that are bringing the birthday cake, that are going to be, you be there for you in the middle of a pandemic, whatever that is. If you actually write down that list. And then what I oftentimes have the men do is say on a scale of one to 10, how much are you showing up for that friendship? I love that. And almost across the board. These people who are like the closest, the ones that they care more about, the ones that they want to cultivate friendships with. It's so rare that you see men showing up higher than sevens, like into the territory of like eight, nine, 10, where you're actually content with that. It's so rare that we're putting the energy into the relationships that matter most, the friendships that matter most to us. And it's such it's such a simple moment. But if you were to do that, even right now, like I think that that single thing would be a really powerful thing for anyone to do here. And and you've talked so much about some of the statistics, which I appreciate kind of grounding that there. And and again, one of the things that was like shocking to me was that statistic. What is it about smoking cigarettes? It's like the fifteen cigarettes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Being lonely is the equivalent of, 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 of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. On your, Like the, on your like the person face. out there that's smoking, a, you know, half a pack a day that has, has friends, like is probably got some better health health outcomes than the person who has no friends that doesn't smoke. <laughs> yeah. That's, totally. and it's, it's shocking and, and really scary.
1: And just to ground it even more and like a, a, re, a true kind of like uh crisis that we're facing is like the, the surgeon general of the United States has yep. literally come out and like, this is his life's work now is really focusing on the loneliness epidemic because, of how detrimental that is, like not only to our health, just like we just said there, but also when people are isolated, it's like their health outcomes just drop through the floor. Their likelihood to exercise, to take care of themselves, to eat well, just absolutely plummet. So it's we're really just at the cusp of the potential ramifications of this loneliness epidemic. And so And yeah. so I mean, so go, go ahead, ahead, buddy.
0: No, I was just saying, I think it even goes deeper because you start, there's some data emerging now. It's like if 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 you don't feel like you're part of a a community or or have those connections in your life, you are more likely to join a hate group or, cons- you know, believe in conspiracy theories or kind of find community wherever you can, even if it's people that are being really toxic in the universe, right? So this this kind of, I think this is going to be one of the major issues moving forward um, in our lifetimes. And it's something that, you know, having healthy human connection is healthy for you. It's healthy for your community, your neighborhood, and it's healthy for the planet. It's all connected, right? The more people look out for each other, the more they're like, wait a second, we're on this earth together. The earth isn't doing very well. (laughs) Like if you're suffering and you're suffering over there, that's That's I'm, that's me too. Right? Like this is your planet is my planet. We're in this together. It's all connected. Like loneliness and friendship, it's all connected. Um, I also just wanted to add on the piece that you were talking about. I, I, so much of, of this book is kind of these simple things that people can do. I think um, showing up for the people, even letting the people in your life that um, you care about know that you care about them. Is something that I don't think we do enough. I I, I think, um, you know, you know whether it's just a simple gratitude practice, but actually, just I I was just thinking about this in the the terms of the pandemic, kind of like reaching out to the people that in the last year have carried you, um, and even if you've you know the people that you've seen the most, but also the people that you've had a couple conversations with that really meant something to you. Um, maybe a a doctor, a therapist, whoever it is, like letting those people know, like, hey, like you carried me through a really, really, (laughs) like a brutal time. We don't do that enough. And it's, uh, it's really, really, really important. We, we oftentimes think about it at tribute as the, the, I love you
1: because statement of like, it's one thing to say, I love you, right. To a friend or a statement of affection, uh, yes. of like, thank you. or love you. But the idea of, because of inviting in more thoughtfulness of like, if you love someone, one of your friends, you just ask yourself like, why, why do you love them? Or like, why are you grateful for them? And whatever your answer is to that, which I'm almost certain will be there. If you give that part of the, the sentiment of affection, a voice it will actually impact the recipient more deeply because they can tell that you really mean it, that there is thoughtfulness behind it, and so it's a beautiful way to kind of like add on to that that idea of giving it a voice and, and sharing it. One of the I, it, go ahead, yeah, go please, ahead, go for, no no, we're going to we're going to jam like this for the next hour. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> can I, yeah, can can I share? First, a, can I share a recent tribute it. story? Yeah, please. Um. So yeah, I'm, I'm obviously a fan of tribute. Um, the first time I was introduced to it obviously was we when we uh, you did a tribute for Levi's uh, folks for his parents after after Levi passed away which was really beautiful um, and my partner made one for my birthday this year which is great because I we were on the East Coast I hadn't seen most of my friends all year last June um, it was really really beautiful and I cried and then most 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 recently, um, we did a tribute for our friend Fogg, who is in the campgrounded community, was the person that ran the tier. And he's um, been um, dealing with bladder cancer and, for years and, you know, has has pretty much an, a, a negative um, outcome at this point and, and has decided to be on hospice and kind of spend his his last days with his family. And I was creating this tribute and and, you know, I wasn't going to watch everyone's Um, Videos just because it's very personal and people were doing I love you because to someone that they knew was going to die. And I remember going to the tribute, um, you know, the um, what category is this? (laughs) And being like, okay, so there's In Memoriam, uh, Thinking of You, Get Well Soon, Sympathy. I was like, man, Andrew needs to make a category for like, going to die soon and I love you. And here's why. <laughs> and and in a way that's like, yeah, because like people kept texting me being like, what do you say to someone who like, you can't be like, I, I'm thinking about you. I I hope you go through this uh, sickness. Well, like feel better, you, you, feel better, get strong. You know, I'm sending you strength and prayer. And it's like, no, this this man is going to die. This man knows he's going to die. This man has made peace with the fact that he's going to die. First of all, we're all going to die. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, this person knows he's dying and has made the decision to gracefully and beautifully just to spend those those last days, you know, surrounded by by loved ones and family and not at a hospital. Um, that's okay. Like, it's okay to acknowledge it being like, but we were not, it just struck me as such a unique, um, it was just a beautiful moment of being like, wow, this is, this is people getting to express to someone what they what what he meant to them and why they love him i love you because and he gets to see it right he's he's not well be he gets to he watched this video you know a week or two ago and it's just like wow it's just this powerful kind of i wish i you know i kind of wish we all got those <laughs> throughout our <laughs> lives i i was thinking i was like you know it'd be so cool it's like a it's a, a i guess a living eulogy but i kind of want that every 25 years of my life
1: yeah no I, we i try to think about it like every every five to ten you know right. if you think about how much you've changed in the past five years of your life it's like that's that's what we're working towards and trying to to normalize that uh for sure and that was my that was my initial reaction when i got one of these on my you know 27th birthday almost seven mm. years ago And I came out of it and I said, I just watched my eulogy while I'm still alive. And I was like, everyone should be able to experience this. And that was, that was the formation of tribute. Um, So I'm, I'm right there with you, man. And, you know, like one, one thing here, because I love it. I know how your brain works and I'm so excited for (laughs) really the latter half of this, of the show to focus on like, what are these tangible practices and techniques and rituals that we can establish to not only deepen friendships, but to cultivate new ones and whether it's finding a new community, cultivating to one that we're already a part of. Um, so I really do want to spend a lot of time on the, on the practical and You know, one thing I'll add there is I talked about like my own definition of friendship and and I love you because I think another helpful frame here is is one that we use at Junto, which is when I when I try and qualify, like what is friendship Uh, to me? Like I, I oftentimes think that some of my best relationships are the ones where I'm just intrinsically called to support people. It's like when I think about the friends in my life who I want to support, whether they're going through a hard time with their girlfriend, whether her business is struggling, who are the people that I I want to talk on the phone with them, who I want to go and help them to move out of their house. There are those people and those friends that you just want to support for whatever reason. And if I have found and it's been very effective for a lot of the people that I that I've worked with is that if you focus your energy on cultivating relationships with those people, that what ends up happening is that you end up supporting being of service, which is intrinsically fulfilling for you. You end up helping the other person, which makes them feel good because they're being supported, which makes it more likely that those people will then invest and want to be of service to you. So it's this beautiful upward spiral of connection and service and relationships. And oftentimes I have I have our men Think about like who are those people that you want to support that you're intrinsically called to support, and then when they reach out because we do that is we actually say it's like hey if you're called we give them in thirty minutes to write messages and we say like if those guys are there let them know it's like I just want to let you know like that I I love you I think you're a great friend and like I just wanted to let you know that I'm here to support if you ever need me for anything and it's just that it's you're not even you're not even doing like the thing you are letting them know that you're available and called to do it. And that simple thing, like, think about that right now. Think about you receiving a text message from one of your friends and say, Hey, I just want to let you know that like, I love you. I'm grateful for our friendship. And if there's everything I can do to help, like I'm, I'm here for you. You'd be like, "What what a thing, right? Great. Like to know that is so empowering as a human. And so, and we always have the power to do that. And so, so that's one, but I mean, I, after, I mean, that's a, write-
0: that's a great one. Yeah. I mean, sharing, sharing your needs and sharing your gives, I think is for, you know, if you, if you, if you set up any type of reunion communion and you at at some point offer allowing people to share what they need and share what they're willing to offer, you've already kind of uh, three things that they need, three things that they give, they can give, you're already kind of setting up the building blocks for community because you're setting up, okay, people are going to probably reach, continue to connect, right? So there's the psychological principle, the mere exposure effect, you know, the more you see someone, the more likely you are to like them, right? So I I actually interview a guy uh, in my book named Sahar. Um, He, you know, and the the chapter is called always, always go on a second date, right? So if you think about kind of the way that, you know, dating, dating works, but um, if you meet someone and you think they're cool, Basically, as long as they're not like you don't like them or they offend you or you don't want to be in their company, invite them to hang out again, right? So he basically goes around. He has a friendship card instead of a business card. It has his number, his name and on the back of the card, it says, let's be friends. So he's putting his information out there. So the other person kind of has to take the initiative to get back in touch. And he always has a standing monthly potluck that he hosts, right? Right. So it happens every month. He invites the new people that he met, maybe at a cool thing or that he bumped into. He invites old friends so that those people can then become potentially collaborate or become friends or meet each other, have that synergy. And I thought it was just such a simple kind of ritual of, okay, always go on a second date. Always have something that you're inviting people to. It creates that regular heartbeat of connection. It creates that repetition. It creates a lot of possibilities um, f- for connection. So what I, you- go ahead. You sound like you were on the cusp of something. Um, you know, but I also kind of wanted to bring in, you know, something that's just really similar that I think, you know, is, is something I think you and I have talked about this and, and you, you, you've taught me this too. Um, I think you did a podcast once with Rada about the power of, you know, not just being of service, but kind of bringing, bringing an offering, right? If you show up to a space, mm-hmm. you know, with a specific, you know gift you know it could be food it could be cookies it could be music it could be you know little trinkets levi was really big on little trinkets um contribution a contribution immediately people are like damn that was cool like thanks for bringing the contribution like come to my other thing and bring the contribution again or i would love to res- you know provide a contribution back to you i mean it, it it's like you're you're con- you're kind of showing up from this place of offering. I mean, it's why, you know, Burning Man is such a powerful experience. It's all of these people that are showing up from a place of, of gifting and gifting without, you know, something in exchange, right. You know, it's, it's not about like, I'll give you this. It was worth $2 and 50 cents. You owe me $2 and 50 cents. It was, I'm going to share this because I care. And I think this is, you know, awesome. And life is beautiful and people are beautiful Amazing things happen. I mean, Levi was always kind of um, challenging the language around, you know, sharing economy because it was, you know, the sharing economy. He's like, that's just, you know – $345 for a night to stay in a apartment, you know, that's not the sharing economy. Like $27 to get in your car, like that's just that's just business, right? I mean, you know, there are some, you know, don't get me wrong, Airbnb is a really beautiful company and 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 Lyft and Uber have some great things going for them, but it, I thought it was really cool kind of calling out that language. It's like the sharing economy is like a, is a letter, is a handwritten note. <laughs> Is is get is going to your mailbox, which is full of bills and catalogs and being like, holy shit, Andrew sent me a letter, like Smiley sent me a letter, like that is awesome, right? When's the last time you got a handwritten note from someone that you haven't spoken to in a while? It's just showing up and bringing something to someone. Um, you don't need to have an occasion, you know, or kind of a corporate holiday to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, I think the contribution piece, like as it's
1: broken down, like even more tangibly is like, if you are going to perfect example is we, we moved to Austin and there's a couple here, Colin and Christy, they had this pickleball court, amazing people. And there is a, a gathering. People were doing yoga. We had never met them before. Mickey and I make these little hats. They say, holy shit, we're alive on them. And so we brought two of these hats just to give to them. The cats cost us 20 bucks each. And again, it's like that little gesture is we immediately go from being the new people who are there to out of the 40 people doing mm. yoga and playing pickleball. It's like, again, it's we came and the the whole frame that we're coming in is that we're given, is that we're not here just to, to like take their food and to use their pickleball court. It's like. The first instinct they have is of someone who's contributing, who's giving. And so, and it doesn't have to be something kind of creative, like a a hat or something like that. But even if it's, you know, literally just food, if you have something that you love to eat and you bring that to a gathering, like that, that is so much more than just having something that's there to eat or drink, but it's the, the intention behind it and the contribution and how that makes you feel. And if you're doing it on uh, another, then this is what Rod and I talked about on the podcast is, is again, like you could go to a daybreaker and a daybreaker could be pretty overwhelming, right? If you're in New York or SF, it's like, there's people who've done that forever and they're decked out in crazy outfits and the music is blaring. And so you could go by yourself or with a couple of people and be in your own circle, but also you could go, if you're actually trying to build community with the idea of how, well, how can I give back to something like this? It's like, you actually go and volunteer. They have a a volunteer army of people who get there 30 minutes early and they welcome people at the door and hug them. And they actually help to like hand out like drinks and snacks to people and they'll set up, tear down the DJ booth. And it's like that 30 extra minutes is again, it's like now. Like they're, they have such a sense of belonging as opposed to being an outsider working in it's now they're creating the experiences, providing that joy. And there's that, that built in sense of belonging that happens from contribution. And so that single question of like, even we just hired a new CMO. And like, right now my team is, is getting together for a, just a total impromptu happy hour because she's like, Hey, I have a desire to be like more connected and friends with people at work mm. and like, love to do this. And, and now, and you know, eight people responded and said, I'd love to do that. And so now they're, they're on a happy hour talking about the teacher that had the greatest impact on their lives. And mm. she, she created that, you know, she didn't like wait for it. And, uh, that that concept of contribution, I think, is such a big one for for building community and creating deeper relationships. And you're on a roll, man. So, like, keep going. Like, what what are some of the things that you've seen people do that are most effective at either creating new or deepening the the friendship they want in their lives.
0: Yeah, I mean, just the con- the contribution piece equals belonging. I mean, that is like you know, you're showing up and you're feeling like you're home. You're feeling like you're part of the community. You're part of the space there that you are seen and heard. That you belong, right? That you matter. That your feelings matter. That other people see you. That's exactly what your coworker is talking about. That's exactly what happens when you show up from a place of service. I remember, you know, same same similar with the daybreaker example of you know being at campgrounded. You know, most of the staff there is basically not getting paid. Maybe they're getting a couple hundred bucks. and you know, you're setting up camp. It's like two in the morning. I'm lugging tables across, you know <laughs> hundreds of yards uh, in under the redwoods, but I'm loving it. I'm having so much fun. i'm I haven't like laughed this much in my in years in life. It's like that's a sign that, that that's a community that you care about. If you are showing up from a place of service, if you're taking the trash out, if you're lugging tables, if you're setting up coffee, if you're picking up people's cra- trash and you're still got a smile on your face or you still want to be there, you know, that's a commu- that's your community. Those are your people like roll with that, keep going. Um, you know, a few other kind of, you know, little things I'll, I'll mention here. Um, uh, going deep rather than wide was a big thing that kind of came up in, in this book of, you know, it doesn't. Uh, a lot of books about connection or kind of people start talking about meeting new people and i think that that's great and obviously part of this especially for people that are in a new city or or trying to build out their friend base you do have to you know put yourself out there and meet new people i also think that for many of us you know there are people we've met that we just want to spend a little bit more intentional time with right and, and and figuring out who a few people making a you know my friend logan has this intention where Every year, she makes intent, uh, a commitment to go on five one-on-one overnight uh, trips with folks. Mm-hmm. Just because when you go on an overnight, there's just so much time there. I mean, obviously, this was very complicated this past year. So I think this, this, this is an example of something that is um, much harder to do in, in, in the pandemic world. But hopefully, we'll be getting back to being able to spend more time indoors with, with folks very soon but you are going potentially on a road trip, you're traveling somewhere, even if it's like, you know, not too far from where you are, you have to cook food. You know, food is such a way to express joy and bring people together. You have all of those moments where you kind of get away from the, you know, if you're scheduling friendship, if it's like coming in on an hour block on your Google calendar, it's pretty hard (laughs) to like really get there right? You don't get the presence. You don't get the flow. You get the presence. You get the flow when it's hours on hours. You're not looking at the clock. You know, the, the afternoon turns into the evening. It's suddenly it's one in the morning. You're having a dance party, you know, really creating those spaces for, for people to get that depth. Um, Shasta Nelson, who's a friendship expert says that, you know, friendships for friendships to thrive, there needs to be three things uh, practicing positivity with each other um so so to feel satisfied we need to practice positivity with each other to feel safe we need to practice consistency with each other and to feel seen we need to practice being vulnerable with each other so positivity consistency and vulnerability and a deep hang an overnight hang or kind of that extended time where there's no other commitments is really really great for that i mean i think also the one on one honoring the one on one i mean i love group hangs i love community i love you know Going to Daybreaker, I love going to campgrounded and hundreds of people. I also love kind of getting together with a crew of, you know, six, seven, eight friends. But the one-on-one, right? You know, one of my biggest pet peeves is when you're showing up to see somebody for dinner that you haven't seen for a while, and they bring their other friend and you're like, man, (laughs) you know? And it's like you don't get they didn't they didn't reach out to you to get the buy-in before. And I get it. Sometimes you're like, I just bumped into this person or they're in town, you know, visiting from LA. I'm like, I don't care. You know, like I want to see you, brother. I want to see you. I miss you. Um, and I get it. You know, there's 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 a space for that, for bringing new people into the mix. But there's also just the one-on-one. Yeah. You know, and and and, and what that allows because that you can get past that small talk and and really kind of just be with each other. You get into that flow where you're just you're just being. Um, this-
1: I wasn't I wasn't even thinking of this nor did I think that I would go there but you, you really kind of uh, triggered a memory in me of when I when I had just moved to New York I had this, this similar experience if I moved to New York in 2013 uh, after Mickey and I had started dating and she had this incredible community and there were so many cool experiences that were happening and cool entrepreneurs that we were meeting but I would like i I'd, I'd qualify myself as like an introvert who loves hanging out with people. But ultimately those experiences can be like oftentimes more draining than some of my more like introspective, creative alone time. And then I got uh, introduced to the Turkish bath, which is mm. this historic institution. And well, you're in SF. So you, we we've got bath life pretty well locked up. Uh, but it's this Russian banya in the middle of the East village. And it's just, kind of grimy if you were being honest about it and it's got like all these different rooms and it's got a cold plunge and it's got a roof where you've got all of these russian smoking cigarettes and cigars and it's just it's it feels like a an authentic new york experience and so i'd gone there a couple of times with friends and then i just had this idea one time with my friend alex and i remember that we we went as a one-on-one and usually you go to the bathroom maybe anywhere from like an hour to two hours and you just cycle through all the baths and we went there. There's obviously no phones when you're down there. It was just the two of us. And the the hour and a half that we spent there was some of the most connected, energizing uh. social time that I had spent in years. And I just found, and like, I realized that I think at the same time, like Mickey was going to like a party or like more of a gathering. And what I realized in that moment is I was like, wait a second, like I'm energized by this. Like it was generative for me. I had more energy coming out of that experience than I had going into it. And I was like, this is social. This is the social that aligns with what I really enjoy, which is going deeper, asking questions, longer thoughts, times for introspection, not getting interrupted. And so that became my my MO. It's like all of these amazing people that I was meeting, I would make a point to do the one-on-one at the baths because it was going to be an hour and a half to two hours we'd go deep. It's an experiential thing, which adds another element of connection. I think it's when you go totally. through a unique experience together. And that totally shifted my approach to, to being social. It's like, I just remember that like when I would go to parties after that, like I would just camp out. I'd just be on the couch. With, like when, I wouldn't go anywhere because I just realized that the time that I spent going deeper with a single person was almost always going to be more enjoying connected and ultimately generative for me. So the one-on-one I think is, is truly huge. And if you'd started on this podcast and actually identified your list of basically the people who you want to be friends with and you committed to some of those one-on-ones, uh, whether in person or or virtually, um, yeah, it'd be a valuable investment.
0: Totally. And then you're getting at kind of like the next piece there, which is embracing and creating rituals. I mean, ritual, is everything? I mean, ritual allows friendships to thrive. R- rituals allow you know community to thrive because it's these practices that you you have this kind of shared foundation, right? You're like building on. Oh, well, last time we did this, we we went to the banya. Remember what we talked about? Oh my God, what was ha- what's happening now, right? And you go to the banya again. You're like getting into that zone where you both are like, okay, we're going to the banya zone one on one. We right. So it's you're beginning to kind of create that regular heartbeat. I mean, I with my grandmother in New York City, um, I, she lived on East 10th and University right by Washington Square Park in New York City in Manhattan. And I lived in Brooklyn for a couple of years after college. And we would meet up every single week for lunch uh, right by her apartment. So I would go to her place. We would walk the same route. It took us about half an hour to go two blocks, go to the fruit stand. She'd always buy like a perfectly ripe peach. And then we go to this restaurant, Silver Spurs and sit in the same booth every single time with in the same server section. I remember her, we we would leave if this dude Pablo, who we loved, and my grandmother-grand-loved, and would always you know talk to and knew everything that was going on in his life. If he wasn't there, if Pablo wasn't working, we would bounce. We would literally leave and not get lunch. That was kind of how uh, dialed in our, our weekly lunch ritual was. And, you know, whenever I think of Grant, I think of sitting in that booth and we would order the same thing. Bam, Grant would always get a, uh, bacon cheeseburger, <laughs> uh, and a cup of coffee. And I would get a bagel with lox and cream cheese. And I just, you know, like that's, that's love. I mean, I, there's such a powerful thing about that that ritual. So, you know, you mentioned the one-on-one, but then I think like taking it to the next level of, it doesn't have to be the same booth in the same restaurant or the same same always going to Banya, but there is something about that container for a friendship to really grow and thrive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're on a roll here with some of these tips. So what would you throw in as like one of the the more efficient techniques for building these types of friendships? that you
0: would want people to know? Um, I love the idea of um, getting other people a gig and promoting other people. That's something that's really near and dear to kind of like how I approach my thought leadership and my authorship. I I want to be remembered as someone that wrote books, but like got other people book deals. Um, I think to take a break from the, you know, we're all self-promoting and, you know, we're all promoting our, our work and that's how many of us make a living. So that's fine. And to take, to take time to be like, okay, who is someone that I'm going to get a job this month or who can I help, um, achieve something who, who, who is someone that I have the, the unique ability to support, um, getting someone else a gig, is a really great way of kind of thinking about how you might use social media effectively. You know, there was people that I interviewed who basically decide they would, you know, every every week or every two weeks post um, on Facebook, um, just give some love to my friend Will or give some my love to my friend Annie. And there's like he didn't die. He didn't do anything. He didn't get a new gig. His, his company didn't <laughs> raise $200 million. He didn't get featured in Fast Company. I just said some love for a really special man that means a lot to me. Like, love him up in the comments if you feel so called to do so. And I was like, that is like the coolest use of Facebook I've ever seen. Um, but it's like a great way to kind of think all of us have, you know, based on what we do, had the ability to do that in our work, but usually we only do it when it's responsive of like this person's being like, yo, can you connect me to this person? I could use this favor. Can I get a connect? Can you intro me? Blah, blah, blah. But if you just do it without them asking, woo, like that's really powerful. Like it's, it's going to be a pretty groundbreaking experience. Um, another thing I would say, um, you know, and this is, inspired by my buddy Ankit Shah. He started, um, tea with strangers. Um, and which is a kind of a community that's now all over the world, but basically bringing people together, uh, three to four people for a conversation over tea. That's a guided conversation with a host It started in San Francisco. Um, and he, uh, when I interviewed him, what he was talking about was the practicing good alone time, And I was like, whoa, this is so interesting that the person that started Tea with Strangers, which, you know, is a movement of, you know, thousands of people all over the world that like to meet up with strangers and ask interesting questions like, what's something you're overthinking, uh, you've been overthinking lately, or tell us about a recent turning point in your life, who's someone in your life that you should say thank you to, like deep questions a little bit past the small talk. Um, He was all about spending more good alone time that kind of in the service of connection and community. And I think that that is something that we don't talk about, ritualizing alone time, making it okay in our busy lives to say, okay, I'm not just alone right now and it sucks, but I'm alone right now and it's beautiful. I'm intentionally taking Sunday evening to not make plans. I don't want to go out. In fact, I have a meditation practice, a journaling practice. I'm going to sit here and light a candle um, and you know just listen to music wow because what happens there is you're going to become more connected to yourself likely which is going to hopefully allow you to show up more for your other people right i think if we're more comfortable being alone we can show up um more powerfully for for other for others so kind of changing tea with strangers into having tea alone and and hmm. celebrating that and embracing that and i think that's really important now uh in, in this kind of you know this new world we're living in i was thinking about um writing a piece uh for the new book all about kind of like friendship post pandemic just realizing that it's going to be hard for some people to jump back in right you know some 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 people have been messaging me being like did you get tickets for burning man yet you know, and it's like, whew, like to go from <laughs> to go from like, you know, you've seen. I've been with my partner in our at our place. my partner Allie at our place in uh, in Bernal Heights. Basically, just with her. You know, we I, we spent some time with family last summer, but basically, just with her for over three hundred and sixty five days. To I'm going to go dance with seventy thousand people. Like, I'm not. I don't know if I can make that jump right away. Right. Mm and i want to make it okay that there are going to be nights when someone invited me to a dinner party inviting me to go dancing and i actually just need to be alone and that's okay and honoring that and celebrating that and normalizing that and not stigmatizing it um is is a, is actually it's actually in service to friendship it's in service to your own growth and it's it's in service to your your friends as well and encouraging them to do the same
1: yeah Absolutely. so with uh, some with some of them. these things that are here, I'm curious if you were to take it from like all of these which are like practical things that people can do, what would you say are the biggest barriers that get in the way of people actually creating these types of meaningful friendships? That's a great question. <sighs> Whether they're like maybe we, we bring it to like the personal level and then maybe more on like the societal level. Right.
0: I think on a personal level, um, I think we're trying to do too much with too many people. Um, I think that there's a little bit of a factor of busyness and distraction and kind of the, the attention economy, um, pulling us in, in, in pulling us away from those five, 10, 15, 20 people that we really, really want to go deeper with to, random emails, messages, DMs, you know, meeting, uh, just kind of having surface level relationships. I think that that's, there's a big piece there. I think social media and technology uh, usually is a part of it, although can be definitely helpful. And maybe we can talk about that kind of how technology can be used in a powerful way. Um, but I think that people are distracted and people are overwhelmed and it's also scary. It's scary to kind of, you know, when I was pitching this book, The publisher, initially, they loved the the topic, but they didn't want the title. And I was like, well, I love the title. That's what it is for me. It's Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. And they said, we can't have loneliness in the title. And I said, what do you mean? They're like, well, no one's going to pick up a book that admits that they're lonely. And I said, well, I am lonely, as are Mm. 60% of Americans and 80% of young people. And they're like, yeah, but no one's going to self identify as having a loneliness issue that they need that help. And I'm like, well, we all need it. So uh, there's something there around kind of, I think that it's scary. It's scary to say, you know, I'm 37 years old. It's scary to be in your late twenties, in your thirties, in your forties, in your sixties and say, am I satisfied with my friendships? It, it There's like some shame there. And, then when we talk about it more, we realize kind of everyone feels this way. So let's all go deeper. We're all struggling with it. We all want more. We all want more. It's like a game of chicken, right? And everyone's kind of standing outside the circle. We need that person to jump in. Actually, to bring it back to Levi, Levi, that the container that he created a camp and the container the camp was, was basically we're all really addicted to technology we're all not getting that kind of connection that we really want i'm jumping in the circle with my flag flying high you come with right and creating more spaces for people to do that is so powerful i think that's where the community piece is uh you know i call it call them exponential communities basically communities that make their people better or have an exponential impact on the, the 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 folks that join so for example I was part of this community called Starting Block, Starting Block Institute for Social Innovation. It's a kind of leadership development program. It got me on my personal growth journey, my personal development journey. I went to this program in 2012 in LA in Santa Monica, the Annenberg Community Beach House, right on the water. I was working at the time. I was living in Washington, DC. I had been there for four years. I was working uh, in the federal government, in the Obama administration. I had this great job on paper but I was really unhappy, and I knew that I wanted something more for for my life. And I was almost thirty years old, right? But I didn't know what that was. But going to that space and that community, and being in the space of a hundred, a room of a hundred people that were social entrepreneurs and young people going after their dreams and starting cool companies and doing cool things, basically gave me the permission like the, we're in the circle too, come in. And I'm like, I'm not sure. I don't know. Like my boss is going to be upset. Like, do I have enough savings? Like, I don't know. Like, can you even make it as a writer? No one makes it as a writer. They gave me the permission to join in the circle with them and jump in. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, that that is maybe the personal and the societal level is that, you know, we're scared and that there's not that many Forces in society saying, "Come on, we got you. I got your back. Like I'm going to support you. If you don't do this, who the hell is going to do it? Like those believers, right? Finding believers that believe in in the power of your dreams, and not only believe, but are actually going to go to bat for you, right? Are going to going to uh, provide that accountability? Are going to call you up? You know, it's, uh, a great example is my boy, uh, who's a good friend of yours too, Evan Walden. You know, I met Evan Walden at Starting Block." And Evan said to me, "He said, Smiley, why would you be doing anything else in your life than reaching your full, your full potential? Why would you be doing anything else in your life than reaching your full, your full potential?" We were, we were having a beer, a late afternoon beer, on the rooftop of the Shangri La Hotel uh, in Santa Monica, and I was like, I literally, I, I remember this the day. It was like almost sunset. I I stood up, I I put my arms in the air. And I was like. I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go. I'm going to move to San Francisco. I'm going to move to California. Like, I was like, why else would I? Like, why wouldn't I be doing anything else than reaching my full potential? Like, what the hell am I doing? But we need people in our lives that say that shit. And I had never really been in that type of room. And I imagine most people uh, in the, don't spend their whole lives without being in a room like that, right? I was almost 30 years old. And I'd never been in a room of believers. I had never been in a room where people were like, you know, I I had had friends, of course, but no one that was like, "Hey, man, like you, you seem a little bit unhappy. You seem like things aren't going well." Like not just, "Oh, that sucks." Here's a beer, but oh, that sucks. Like, what are you going to do about it? Hmm. Oh, that sucks. I'm going to keep calling you. Evan kept calling me after that. We met there and was like he he would call me and be like have you had the tech, text with your boss yet smiley have you had the text that sorry have you had the talk with your boss yet have you had the talk with your boss and that that conversation and that accountability ended up leading to me having that conversation you know quitting my job in dc moving 3000 miles across the country starting a whole new life and a whole new career at the age of 30 and to what i'm able to do today because of people like evan and because of communities like starting block And I think as a society, we need to have more of those spaces. You know, that's why I'm I'm hopeful. You know, you you were mentioning Vivek Murthy, who is the Surgeon General under Obama and wrote this great book on loneliness um, called Together. And he's actually now just got confirmed as the the U.S. Surgeon General again under under President Biden. I hope that there is more of kind of an institutional push to create more community-based initiatives kind of at the federal state organizational level right like a lot of this stuff has kind of been you know side projects you know you do it with your 20 friends or some some person has this idea like let's do this in new york let's do this in brooklyn let's do this in austin let's do this in london those are all great and that's awesome but i'd love for there to be kind of this coordinated effort at a national global level where you can kind of basically see all these what activities are happening see all the experiences And then it like shows you who's not involved and allows them pathways to get involved. And it's like, okay, uh, hey, you know, Smiley, you live in Bernal Heights in San Francisco. Uh, Joe and Maria live four blocks away and they've been looking for an author support group because they're writing their first book. And I'm like, well, I run an author support group. Come on in. Right. Or like, Hey, we're doing this really cool thing. Do you want to join or look at all these amazing opportunities or look at these people in your community that don't have access, that don't have resources, that are feeling super lonely, that don't have a place to go. Do you want to support them? Do you want to get involved? Do you want to kind of be uh, a supportive um, force in in, in their lives? I think that would be beautiful and amazing and would be, I, I hope that that happens one day.
1: And, and what I'd say there as well is I think that for people who don't feel like they have access right now to these kinds of exponential communities that like, you can actually kind of be a catalyst to start these of like, totally. like small examples of these again, are book clubs, right? Yep. If there's, if you find something that you are interested in, in my experience, that is the launching pad for you to bring people together with a purpose. It's like, whether it's learning, whether it's experiential, do you love hiking? Do you love physics? Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, do you love, like whatever it is. And like, there are places now, whether it's through meetup.com and like one thing we can move to from here would be technology and how it can accelerate connection. But it really is, you can start something there. I have a friend who moved to San Diego and his entire crew that he knew before he moved there were huge partiers. He doesn't drink anymore. And he was like, I just want to, I just want to have meaningful conversations with people. He started a hiking club with two of his buddies and now once a week they go out and they grew from seven to 10 to like, it's like 15 people and they have one prompt. What's the prompt? What does love mean to you this week? Or like, it's Mm. like, what's your dream? And, and now like it's becoming a thing. And like he created that just by taking a stand and starting, it just takes one other person to dive in. And, you know, that you do have the power to start that by just yeah. taking what it is that you want to spend your time on, putting it into the world and letting other people to potentially dive in. It's like you, you don't,
0: you don't have to wait for
1: someone to invite
0: you into one totally. of those, you can also create it. My friend Gail, when we were in, uh, in DC, she started a Monday night activity club. Similarly, she didn't, she doesn't really enjoy alcohol, kind of found that the whole DC Kind of nightlife scene was all about happy hour and getting drunk and all of these people that just wanted to go to bars. So she started a Monday night activity club. Very simple. On Monday nights, people would get together and do different activities and people would get to suggest the activities they wanted to do. Like, so sometimes it was going for a bike ride, making pottery, starting up doing a book club, authentic connection games, improv, cooking a meal, you know, writing poems, singing, doing a dance, you know, making a music video to a, a Robin song. It was a Monday night activity club it's about as simple as it gets you can start one on Tuesday nights if you want to um, and I and, and it grew I think the, the listserv it by the end of it that was back when Google groups were still a thing it was like 200 or 300 people and then people were using it as a tool to you know find roommates to live with right it's like amazing what happens when you just kind of start something out of your own interests
1: yeah. And we we had talked about I mentioned meetup there, but I'm curious because it's we had talked about technology being such a kind of like culprit of disconnection and loneliness in the world, which I agree with. You know, being the founder of Tribute, I also believe that technology can play a role in bringing us back together and and supporting meaningful relationship building. And so I'm curious to hear like what are the examples and best tools that you use, or how you feel technology can you know, not just be a part of the problem, but also a part of the solution.
0: Sure. So, you know, and Meetup's great. Meetup's a great example of, uh, I just actually did uh, an interview with um, their Meetup's new CEO, um, David Siegel, I think is his name. And, um, and yeah, S- Scott, that started Meetup. It's an incredible, you know, tool for people to find organization, uh, groups in their community about various topics or start their own Meetup group. And now they're doing tons of amazing things online this past year. Um, but so, you know, for me, I definitely in this book, so it started with Levi, my my take is definitely not, you know, technology is evil, stay away from technology, IRL friendship is the only thing that exists. I think if anything, this year has taught us how powerful technology can be, how essential it is to allow us to stay connected, to keep working together. I think the key is balance and I think the key is intention. So there's research around this that kind of um, – uh, John Cassioppo, who wrote uh, kind of the definitive book on loneliness, um, is one of the leading uh, social scientists on, on loneliness, kind of talks about social media and technology as a way station. So if, if, the, if the tool, if the technology is being used as a way station for people to connect and then find directions to meeting offline in real life or going deeper with each other, then it actually has a positive impact on people's lives and health and people feel more connected and 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 there's some positive benefits there. If it's the end destination, if it's not just the place you get directions, but the place you're scrolling for the next two and a half hours or four days, <laughs> you're essentially always in the video game or always in the never ending you know loop on Facebook or Instagram. Then it's actually really unhealthy and bad for you. Um, so yes, there's such a positive uh, way uh, uh, use use for technology. I, I, I talk about a woman in my in my book, uh, Liz, who actually. Through technology, she was suffering from Lyme disease and a rare form of Lyme disease and chronic fatigue syndrome, and found these uh, communities on Instagram and Facebook, the More Than Lyme group, uh, Tired Girl Society, where people were talking about alternative treatments. You know, Lyme disease is something that's not really understood by the mainstream medical establishment. So she found all these people that were giving her examples of the medications they were using, their regimens, and she basically found a cure for her own. A health problem that allows her now to live a, a essentially a, a healthy life from from technology from these groups um and that without them she wouldn't be where she you know she'd still be in bed essentially um so you know i i like to point to kind of the tools whether they're meetup or nextdoor um eventbrite sometimes uh bumble bff um, that are allowing people even the online dating apps like hinge that allow people to meet interesting people and then connect with them and prompt them to connect with folks, um, you know, uh, off- offline. I'm really kind of excited about kind of like some of these friendship CRMs. Um, I, I haven't used a lot of them, but a lot of people have uh, talked about Hilo and Dex and Fabrique, which are kind of like allowing you to track your relationships and then prompt you to say, oh, you haven't reached out to Andrew in two months. Like, do you want to reach out? Here's a way to do that. I also think, you know, I mean, obviously things that allow people to express gratitude like tribute are amazing. Um, I think it's really cool what some folks are using technology for kind of the um, elder care and intergenerational uh, collaboration. I know that Goodnight Zoom is remote storytelling with an isolated senior, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Papa, which pairs adults, older adults and families with Papa Pals for kind of companionship and assistance with everyday tasks um, meals together does intergenerational dinner parties over video call. Um, listenly is a, you can schedule a listening session with an experienced listener. Like their job is just to listen to you. Uh, (laughs) and they like practice kind of, you know, active listening and they're trained, they're actually trained to, to be an effective listener, which, you know, uh, is cool. I think sometimes maybe, you know, folks should also do therapy, but, um, it's cool. I mean, there's so many things like that out there. So it's really, um, you know, th- there's a lot of potential there. I, I, I will share though. I think, you know, the Levi in me, like the Levi's that, the the Le- Levi that's listening to you and me jam, which by the way, he definitely is. He's somewhere like on a beach beach right now, like eating sushi, like listening, to- <laughs> listening to fleet foxes, just like, you know watching <laughs> watching the waves go being like andrew and smiley like what's up um but he would he would also want me to put in kind of like the disclaimer caution of like tech is dope and tell call your mom tell her how much you love, you love her like make a plan to see somebody soon give them a really big hug and get like that oxytocin in real life. Like he would, he would say, he would want me to say that. And, I, and I'll just share this as like a real talk example. Like I got really excited recently and folks listening, um, you know, may also be about Clubhouse. So I was, I joined Clubhouse, uh, which is an audio only uh, chat app like last summer or something. And I was home visiting my family and it was kind of not, Uh, my, my partner had, she had come back to already come back to San Francisco and I stayed in Boston to spend more time with my folks and my nephew, who's 18 months old. And I got on clubhouse and I was on, I looked at my screen time. I was on that app for about eight hours a day. The first week or week or so I joined eight hours a day. And I got back to San Francisco and Allie was like, you need to get off of this app. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, you're right. What what am I doing? So, Uh, You know, because at the end of the day, I was like, this is really cool. This is so exciting. This is like a live podcast and everyone can join and there's conversation and it's so much cooler than the kind of Facebook, Twitter, you know, spiral that just leads to toxic conversation. There's so much possibility for dialogue and, you know, access and anyone can join the conversation at any time and a celebrity can be talking with, you know, someone that just you know, a random person, what this is, this is the coolest thing ever. And at the end of the day, I was like, I also spend eight hours a day on this app. That's eight hours a day that I wasn't spending, you know, with my family or reading a book, right? So there's a balance there. And, you know, recently kind of found that I I, I had to take a long break from that app, because I realized that it wasn't, I was it wasn't making me sleep well, because I would be in these rooms at 10, 11pm, you know, talking about, whatever the hell it was, you know, blockchain, sure. NFTs, um, this, you know, uh, state of the world. And then I wouldn't be able to sleep because my brain would be going so quickly. So it's, it's a balance. So there's potential there. And, um, I, I just think we all need to kind of have that Levi, that inner Levi and in us being like, you know, put, put your phone down, even if it's interesting, even if it's, a t- it is a tool, it's very powerful, put your phone down and go outside, uh, stand under a tree um, and go see someone that you love, you know, just as a a little bit of a, let's always remember that let's come back to that, especially in this kind of new world we live in and uh, where technology is only going to become more and more a part of our lives.
1: Well, beautiful, man. And it sounds like you're kind of leading us towards a, a close with that. So while you're, you're channeling Levi, I'd be curious for you, if you had the people that are listening to this, but just anyone who gets to read the book and they're, they're going to take away one main message about friendship. What is it that you and channeled Levi want those people to know? Mm.
0: (sighs) I would say, you don't know how much time you have left. You don't know how much time your friends have left. Let the people in your life that you care about, let let them know that you care about them. Time is now, huh? Time is now. Life is short. Spend more time with your friends.
1: <laughs> well, there it is, brother. Thank you for
0: taking us on a journey
1: and reliving like goosebump inducing memories and, you know, being someone who's not just ideating and creating here, but but living these values and really showing everyone what that looks like, man. Uh, deep respect and,
0: and gratitude for you for for making the time today. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the work that you do and and much love.
1: And when's the, so now just logistically, when does the book come out? Where can people find you online? How can we support you in making this thing the success it deserves to be?
0: Sure. So Friendship in the Age of Loneliness comes out May 4th. You can buy it wherever you buy books, Amazon, bookshop.org, indie bookstores. Check me out at smileypozwalski.com and on all the socials.
1: Beautiful, man. Well, dude, loved our time. Look forward to giving you a hug in person very soon, hopefully. Hell yeah. And uh, excited to blow up this book and share this out with the community, man. Thanks for the time. Love you, dude.